You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It's Thursday the 16th of February. Uh, plenty of news coming out of, well, the UK, also a bit from Melbourne as well. We'll come to that. Lee Bottershead will be joining us talking about Julie Harrington's speech in Melbourne yesterday. We'll be talking about Dan Skelton's views uh, about the handicapper Martin Greenwood. Um, we have plenty of horse news for you. What's running this weekend? What's not running this weekend? But we start David Yates, newsboy of the Daily Mirror, with the day that Asheen Murphy returns to the saddle. That's not all, though. He's got his flat license, but he's got his jumps license as well, Dave. Yeah, that's right. As you say, Asheen Murphy returns at Chelmsford City this afternoon or this evening, Tom. He's got one ride uh, for Mick Appleby. Um, that is Jupiter Express in the Winning Connections Networking Handicap. Um, but interestingly, he's not just got a license to ride on the flat. Asheen Murphy's also got a license to ride over jumps. We know that he's been doing a lot of show jumping uh, during his time out. Just to recap, of course, he got a 14-month ban from the BHA. That was for misleading BHA officials over his holiday destination during the COVID-19 pandemic a couple of years ago in 2020. Um, he said that he was at Lake Como, whereas in fact, of course, he was uh, at in Mykonos, on Mykonos, which was on the red list, I think, at the time. Also, there was the question of the two failed breath tests at Salisbury and Newmarket. So uh, he got the 14-month ban, returns tonight, but yeah, I was talking to uh, Jimmy Derham of the Neptune Sports Management uh, Company. They look after Asheen Murphy. And he said, Jamie Spencer won the bumper. This was, of course, on Pizarro in 2002. And Fran Berry won a Coral Cup. That was on Kairawani in 1999. He said, I'm not saying he's going to go down that road, but watch this space. He's done a lot of show jumping in between, which is his passion. So he's kept his eye in with the horses and he's very much looking forward to being back on a race course. Interesting with Cheltenham just a month away, whether Asheen Murphy would come in for a ride in the Weatherby's champion bumper. There must be quite a few trainers uh, who would be only too pleased to put him up uh, in that race. I wouldn't think he's going to be doing too much riding over obstacles. Of course, he's attached to Qatar Racing Limited, and uh, they want him in one piece to ride on the flat. But certainly very interesting. You know, we know that Asheen Murphy... um, doesn't do things necessarily by the book. And it'll be interesting to see the extent of his exploits uh, under the National Hunt Code. Yeah, uh, Johnny Murta um, was, was second in a stairs hurdle, I think on a horse we'd ridden on the flat. Richie Hughes, um, I think he rode in, in the champion bumper for his father, possibly. He definitely rode um, in one for about 10 years or so ago for Mick Shannon. Um, but there's there's a there's a big difference, I think, between Asheen coming and riding in a champion bumper compared to him having a spin over hurdles. I mean, I can't believe that's part of his plans, given his the fact that he's a dual champion jockey on the flat. The last season he rode on the flat, he was champion jockey. I mean, 
fundamentally he's he's worth too much isn't he his career is worth too much to go riding over jumps i would say given the 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 pitfalls that that can bring so that that would be a huge surprise but it's um it's interesting nonetheless and and look i suppose first and foremost um let alone having a a clear round in the national hunt sphere asheen murphy wants a, a clear season on his record doesn't he there's 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 going to be an element of three strikes and you're out about this return surely yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. Let me just put um, play devil's advocate for for one moment, Tom. Right with Asheen Murphy, we know that you know he's he he's confessed to having his demons. Of course, there was a a three month cocaine ban from November 2020. He's spoken about his alcohol dependency issues too. Would it be possible that? aware of the fact that their man needs kid glove treatment and uh needs needs a, a, a decent bedside manner might Qatar racing say okay we want to look after you as both a person but also as an asset is it possible that they might say they're there you can do the odd bit of jumping if that keeps your mind in the place that we want it to be in um just just try and make sure you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, I just don't really see where it fits into his. I mean, particularly now with such an international winter. All right, when he comes, you know, may, maybe a, a champion bumper fits quite nicely into his campaign, right at the, the at, in the middle of March. But you know, then then you've got to, we we know he's off abroad now in the in the Middle East um, from Doha to Saudi, and then you've got Dubai World Cup at meeting at the end of March. Um, and then you come back into the turf campaign. If he wants to go on for a, for another champion jockey campaign, he's, he's going to come back and start riding here. And I, I just don't know where the odd bit of jumping fits in. No, I, I agree with you. I think it's probably going to be uh, the bumper. I suspect that we won't see him over obstacles. I was just putting that in and ju- just as a a bit of devil's advocacy, just to perhaps put oneself in uh, the position of, of, Asheen Murphy's paymasters at Qatar Racing and just the fact that they might want to tread on eggshells just to uh, see that their man mentally stays in the right place. But I agree with you. I think it's very unlikely. It's interesting. Uh, go on, Dev. I was going to ask you how just, just how you feel Asheen, you know, Asheen returning, how you feel about it and how you think he will be received. I think sort of by the wider racing public, I feel he's still a very popular figure. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that um, generally in sports, the master practitioners are received with uh, affection by the watching crowds. And I think that that's still the case with Asheen Murphy. He's still a relatively young man. He's 27 years old. So I, I think that um, the, the the people who follow horse racing, indeed people who follow any sport, are prepared to forgive uh, the failings and the shortcomings of of the the, the great pra- practitioners, and there's no doubt that Asheen Murphy is one of those. Um, when it comes to riding on the flat in Britain, you know how many jockeys would we say are better than Murphy at his best riding in Britain? Well, um, Ryan Moore has had a stellar year in 2022. Dottori is still around. There aren't that many uh, that you would say are Asheen Murphy's. Uh, superiors I, I i think i think he'll be received with warmth and certainly once he does get 
uh, back in the groove. I think that the misdemeanors of the past will be forgotten. Remember, of course, that the COVID-19 uh, transgression wasn't simply just a case of a weakness. Uh, he potentially endangered others uh, by what he did. But as I say, I think things will settle down. I'm really interested to see how uh, 2023 is going to unfold for Asheen Murphy. I think there is a question of being in the last chance saloon. I certainly think that applies to Qatar Racing. I think they've shown him uh, commendable patience and understanding. Um, and I hope that he repays that. Uh, it's interesting to think of a vacancy at Clarehaven Stables uh, of John Gosden's in the autumn. And I'm pretty sure that he'll be on the list when uh, they they draw up uh, suitable candidates to replace Frankie de Tory. Well, Lee Mottisett has uh, written a piece in, in the Post on Julie Harrington's comments, the BHA chief executive at, at the Asian Racing Conference. Um, Lee, Lee could just explain a little bit more about this. I, I know that she, she said things in, in the room to, to everyone there and then spoke to you um, privately outside the room as well. So um, just just give us a, an overview of what's in the article, Lee, and what you make of it. Yeah, thanks, John. Well, so Julie was speaking um, on a panel on the only day of this Asian Racing Conference. It was an opening session which was there to uh, discuss what the, the panel and the, the the chair of the Asian Racing Federation, Winfred Engelbert-Breschkus, is also chief executive of the Hong Kong Club, deemed to be the most pressing issues facing racing right now. There are a lot of issues thrown up, uh, including the growth of the illegal betting market, uh, including racing's failure to connect with Generation Z, social acceptability, etc. And during the session, the, the moderator, David Ease, well known to listeners as a figure uh, on the BBC and BBC World Service, asked Julie about the whip rules that had uh, obviously come into force in Britain on Monday. And Julie's response was initially that she said, that the, which was an issue that the BHA had been looking at as part of a wider suite of activity uh, on households welfare around the life well lived strategy. Uh, she said it's important to have an unspoken bond of trust with the general public. She spoke about how she recognises there is a conflict between an urban population that no longer has much of a direct connection with horses and the rural population within racing that doesn't believe there to be a problem. But she then cited to the room research by Great British Racing um, that she said uh, showed that if you look at um, that, that part of the audience that said to Great British Racing they do not come racing, she said that 35% of those people had said the reason they don't come racing is because they perceive it to be a cruel sport. If you increase that to 18 to 24 year olds, she said that rises to 45%. Um, I then spoke to Julie outside the room. Um, I asked her about her comments and asked her um, what she thought um, or how she felt that the new rules would go at the Cheltenham Festival, given that, that that's just around the corner and there's been so much talk uh, from people fearing that it could become a negative new story for horse racing. What was interesting was that Judy Harrington's comments were, um, after saying that she was as confident as we can be, that the, the, the whip won't become a big negative issue in horse racing, she argued that there's never a good time to change the rules. She said 
uh, had they decided to wait until after Cheltenham or Aintree, people would have been saying, well, then there's the derby that's why Asker around the corner. But she also said, and this is a quote, we know the final stage of the Gold Cup will be shown on news programmes, and that means this is an opportunity to make the sport look better. She also went on to say, even though we know the whip is made of foam and doesn't hurt, and even though the RSPCA agrees the whip is a protection issue, not a welfare issue, if 45% of those 18 to 24-year-olds they don't come race think the whip is a welfare issue, we need to do something about how we are presenting the sport to those people. And I should say, Tom, as well, that within the room, it certainly wasn't only Julie um, that, was, that was talking about the whip. There were different issues on how it should be approached. There was a connection to the whole Gen Z issue with, with the agreement that the sport isn't connecting with young people in the way it needs to. But someone like Winfred Engelberg Brescia to say, probably the most powerful administrator in world horse racing, whilst he agreed that the whip is a major issue and it has to be tackled. And ideally, in a unified front globally, he stressed that he doesn't believe the whip should or will ever be banned over the next five to ten years because he said the public, the racing public, the ones that we already have, just wouldn't stomach it and they would think that it gave the perception that jockeys weren't trying hard enough. Hmm. There's no doubt that what we're seeing um, really all over the world now, and but particularly in the UK, um, is, a, is this hugely difficult balance to strike between racing responding to the obvious pressures that exist from outside the sport to those within the sport that really feel that the 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 bodies at the top are destroying the sport from within and, it, and I don't know where the resolution is no I agree with you I agree with you it, it, it's uh, it's probably the, the the biggest issue facing global racing it was it was stressed to the audience more than once during the sessions on the opening day that the racing demographic, the demographic of people who follow racing and who bet on horse racing, is pretty elderly. Uh, it's not a, it's not a young audience. Winfred Engelbert Brecht uh, made the point that forty three percent of racing customers are aged fifty five or over, and fifty two percent of current wagering turnover comes from customers who are fifty five or over. Only one percent comes from those who were 25 or under. He said, we're not engaging with generations. That we have no relevance. When you combine it with social responsibility, this is one of our massive challenges. I thought what was interesting as well was a comment by Andrew Jones, who's the Racing Victoria chief executive, who's been in the news because Racing Victoria are massive loggerheads with Racing New South Wales, uh, their northern rival and its chief executive, Peter Blandis. But Andrew Jones is a disruptor. He's come in from from cricket where he had a similar uh, disruptive role there. He's not someone who wants to keep racing as is now. He was congratulated to the Jockey Club on its uh, removal of dress codes. But he made the point when, when calling for racing to be prepared to change, he drew the analogy of, uh, he said, if you go inside a, a French restaurant uh, serving French food and ask people, do you like French food? They're all going to say yes. But he argues that eventually, if there are enough of those people, that restaurant will close. I think he's basically saying that if you try to ask people within racing, are they happy with the sport as it is now, they will say yes. But if you have a wider a wider problem of an ageing demographic within the sport and the young people that eventually would need to become racing's main customer base, if they have issues with the sport that they feel need to be tackled, 
he says, and I think other people at the conference have been agreeing with him, that those issues have to be tackled. Dave, what do you make of Julie Harrington's comments about the the whip and Cheltenham being a, a shop window for the potential new fans of the sport, those comments in Melbourne? I thought for the last few years that the BHA is obsessed with how things look and they care too little about how things actually are. And Julie Harrington's words merely served to reinforce that belief in my mind. I'm just going to read you this paragraph uh, of quotes from her. Even though we know the whip is made of foam and doesn't hurt, and even though the RSPCA agrees the whip is a perception issue, not a welfare issue, if 45% of those 18 to 24-year-olds who don't come racing think the whip is a welfare issue, we need to do something about how we are presenting the sport to those people. Again, an obsession with how things look uh, where is the education of people where, where has the education um been uh, fr- from the bha about the uh, the prokush whip the fact that it's it's padded foam um uh, it, it it just it, i i really am speechless uh, about the 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 way that um the bha have, have dealt with this issue um it's it's very interesting thinking about this as a as a commercial movement that that this is all to do with attracting new people to the sport. Well, just a, a couple of figures. Whip reform started in the wake of Bala Briggs' victory in the Grand National of 2011. That's over a decade ago now. Um, Tom, think of the everyone's turf uh, campaign of last year, which was the aim was to match the pre-COVID. Uh, attendance on race courses uh, from the for the for for Q3 of 2022, there were 1.95 million people for Q3 of 2019, and 1.62 million people for Q3 of 2022. Um, that is 17 percent down on the original figure. So if these sunlit uplands are there uh, after the BHA's whip reform, they're going to have to start appearing pretty soon if they are there i'll welcome them with open arms but i simply don't think they're there and i think that this is uh i i think it's more likely to drive away people who are already committed to racing rather than uh change the minds of people who don't like the sport in the first place and i'll just sign off by reiterating what i've said before that uh the the, the pro kush whip is among the least of a thoroughbred's uh, worries when it steps out onto a race course um, and the idea that people are going to turn to racing in their droves because there's one fewer stroke of the whip and they'll forgive the fact that a horse can meet with its end on a race course uh, I think that is fanciful to say the very least so your concern here would be actually we need to retain the current fans of the sports rather than try and convert the antis. What I would say, though, Dave, is surely everything the BHA, that that Great British Racing and everyone are trying to do isn't necessarily convert the antis. It's to attract those who are in the middle ground. It's it's for those people, the young decision makers of the future, who don't necessarily have an opinion about racing, to try and give them a sense of what racing is about and and, and not have them turned off at the the first port of call with racing by the use of the whip. But Julie Harrington said that um, one of the issues uh, is that um, 
again, I'll, I'll read you a bit more of this. Um, Great British Racing, she said, did research last year with people who engage with racing and people who don't engage with racing. What is really interesting is 35% of those who don't agree with racing said the reason they chose not to engage is because they think racing is a cruel sport. Again, is, is, that, um, is that mindset going to change? When a horse, when a jockey is allowed one fewer stroke of the whip, but a horse can uh, gallop round a racetrack on three legs moments before it meets its end. Personally, I don't think so. By and large, given where, where we are at the moment in the world, racing and its very nature of using horses for the sport is is becoming a harder and harder sell, whatever your opinions on that may be. Therefore, the BHA and and, and uh, and the bodies that we're talking about have to do something. They can't just rest on their laurels. We can't rest on their laurels and hope that racing is going to grow in popularity. It won't. So they have to, this is them being proactive, whether you well, agree with it or not. My, my, my uh, policy of being proactive would be to, to launch a confident and front foot ethical defense of horse racing, which I, I think is, um, I think is a defence that's easily made. Otherwise, I wouldn't work in the sport. OK, we move on to the comments from Dan Skelton on uh, Martin Greenwood. And um, he's been pretty outspoken, Dan, re- regarding those comments, I think, last week uh, when it came to the, the Grand National Entries from the UK. What, what do you make of this, Dave? I think we've got two punchy passionate people uh, neither of whom is any great loss to the diplomatic corps um dan skelton saying that martin greenwood's comments were offensive i i think is is certainly a bizarre use of language um itself uh martin of course said of the the 31 british entries out of 85 for the Grand National, published last week, um, said, I I could only suggest it's a continuation of the demise of the British national hunt scene, and it's part of a general picture. Um, Yeah, Dan Skelton saying, I I find the handicapper's comments offensive. He's an official of British racing, and he shouldn't be making comments like that. We don't ask the referee, as he comes off the pitch, what he thinks. I'm not sure we're uh, comparing like with like there. Martin Greenwood is asked for his um, his comments about the health of the Grand National, uh, how the Grand National is is moving, uh, the the the, um, uh, the the positives and and the negatives, and he's given that. As I say, I think that um, what would be not offensive to me, but what would be more troublesome would be perhaps um, an official from the British Horse Racing Authority telling us that. Um, everything in our garden is rosy at the moment and we need have um, no concerns about anything because I think that patently would be a misleading view. I know Martin very well. He was was in uh, the office at Timeform when I began work there in September 1990. Um, As I say, he's punchy, he's passionate. You could say both things also about Dan Skelton, but I don't have any problem with what the handicapper said at all. Well, Trainer Alex Hales has a, a couple of notable likely runners this weekend. Um, one in the national trial in the form of Omar Moretti. Of course, got Miller's Bank in the Betfair Ascot chase. Are you, Alex, in a similar position with both of them ground-wise? I think so. I think, I think like so many of us trainers at the moment, um, praying for rain and, you know, two, two lovely 
So, Miller's first of all, uh, we're doing this before declarations. Do you, I mean, and, uh, do you do you think you'll declare and, and sort of see how the how the track is, or might you just swerve altogether? No, I think I think we'll declare, um, Tom. We'll declare, and I'm afraid we'll walk the track on Saturday when I arrive and, and take a view a, a view from there. Really, look, Asker are going to do their very hardest to get the ground absolutely right, and um, and we're just hoping it's when we get there. Mm. I mean, he goes on good, right? Absolutely. Look, he, he, he does handle this ground, and he's better. He's a better horse on this ground, as he proved, you know, in the spring last year. Um, but you know, it's it's water ground, and that's a, that's a different kettle of fish from from you know rain. Do you, do you think he'll go to Cheltenham as well, or does that depend whether he runs here, or does it depend on how he is sort of with a with a repeat bid, hopeful at Aintree? I, I think the whole season will be good around Aintree, but I I suspect we'll take a view how he runs after this and. You know, the Ryanair picture keeps cutting up, doesn't mm. it? And, and, you know, if he did run a very strong race on Saturday and, and it put him in the picture, then you'd have to consider it all doing well. And Omar Moretti, if he runs, well, it's going to be different ground to air last time, isn't it? <laughs> it is definitely different to air. He's a lovely, lovely horse and uh, he's got a big pot in him. And I said to the owner, I said, we've got to have a go at something decent because we're just going to keep going up the handicap in, in lesser grade races if we keep winning and getting placed. So this has sort of been one of the main aims and and yeah, I'm hoping ground and looks a chance. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how this race cuts up tomorrow. Okay, and, and likelihood is again, you will, uh, you know, you'll declare and someone will walk it and make a decision on the day. Yeah, I'm afraid so, which isn't really very helpful to anyone. You know, if, if it did rain Friday night, or, or forecast was wrong, or we got more, you've, you've got to be in it. Mm. Yeah, of course. He's he's one three six now, so um, you know, if he if he runs really well, what what, what sort of thing do you have an end of season target with him? Well, it, I mean, this is, I mean, it never happens because it's always quick up there. I'd love to run in the Scottish National, mm. um, but. Well, maybe not. It's been so dry in February. Maybe it'll be wet in April. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can hope. Or you can, you can hope, can't you? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a lovely horse. And, you know, I see him as a long-distance staying chaser. And, you know, there's, there's plenty to go at. And um, we'll, see, we'll see how we come out of Saturday. All right. Well, fingers crossed the, the ground's all right for them to, to take their chance. We'll see. Appreciate your time. Cheers, Tom. Many thanks. So Dave, Alex Hale's not certain that his horse is going to line up. I'd, I'd harbour doubts. Um, if the big three turn up in the Ascot chase, though, we've got we've got a proper race, haven't we? Yeah, we have. But it would be nice if we could get close to a, a, uh, the current um, number of entries, seven, as, as possible, wouldn't it? The, the, the problem with two, three runner races is that they tend to pootle around and, and you don't feel that you've got a true race. I'd love all seven of them, seven of them to uh, stand their ground. Miller's bank, obviously there's a concern over him on account of uh, conditions. It'd be great at least if, if as many of the other six uh, that we've got turned up and we had, you know, what, what people would recognize as a horse race rather than uh, a match or three horses taking each other on. Well, I can tell you that 
Manella Drama having spoken to Donald McCain is isn't a very unlikely runner and first flow just ain't gonna run because he wants heavy he wants testing ground. So that really leaves I right. So yes, it could be a disappointing turnout, but um but such is the ground at the moment. Well the highlight of Sandown today is the, the Jane Seymour Mayor's novices hurdle. Obviously there's the Irish Raider in there, but um Gavin Sheehan's headed there for you wear it well. Um do you, do you, Gavin joins me now. Do you, do you like her, Gavin? She, she's clearly a nice mare. I love her, yeah. Um, Kate, who rides her at home, um, calls her the Wicked Witch. She's, uh, she, she, she can be a bit, uh, bit hot at home. Um, she can throw in a few bucks and rear up and things. Um, she's a bit of a matter, but she's, you don't mind because she's got plenty of ability. Um, to be fair, I, I, I get pleasure of riding her at the race course where she's um, touch wood, well behaved. Hmm. That form last time, you know, it looks pretty good. Obviously, Fergal's horse has come out and won subsequently. Um, we haven't seen the winner since. But, did, did, I mean, this sounds a silly question. Did it ride like a pretty good race? It was a grade one. But it was it was weird ground, wasn't it? But do you think that's pretty solid form? I think it's very solid form, to be honest. Um, I rode in it before a couple of times. And, um, yeah, it definitely rode like a good race. Passing well, actually finished fourth in the race. And he came out and won since as well. Mm. Um but yeah, no, it, it did ride like a good race. I obviously held her up um, with the ground and everything the way it was. But um, I just love the way that she came through and how well she finished. It'll be slightly better ground at, at Sandown, but that's no bad thing because she's she's won on a sound surface before. Yeah, I think I think good horses can go on any ground. Um, you know, she, she, the ground didn't really bother at um, Newbury. Um, you know, and she's she's won twice and good ground, so ground shouldn't be a problem. She's, I know she's she's most likely Cheltenham wise to go to the mayor's novice, but I suppose interesting that she's got an entry in the Albert Bartlett, the Ballymore as well. Um, just more the Albert Bartlett because it's over three. I mean, do you do you see her as a stayer at this trip? Jamie says that she's very very slow at home working, um, but on the race course, I actually feel like over two miles she's got enough speed. Um, you know, and certainly she showed us she had a bit of speed in the tallow. Um, but yeah, he, he sees her as a real strong stayer. Um, whereas I think she's actually still got a bit of speed about her. Hmm. Um, as far as the weekend goes, uh, I feel like everyone I talk to now is on ground watch. You, I guess, would have the option of going to Haydock for passing well, to um, Ascot for Super Survivor. Without knowing what's running and, and where you're going necessarily, do you, how do you feel about those horses passing well? First of all, whether or not he takes up the engagement. Passing well is a gorgeous big horse. Um, he's going to be a proper chaser in the making, um, and it's just one of those that he. I think he's ground dependent because he's so big and everything else, and he's going to be he's a better horse on soft ground. Um, and with the ground coming up, it's down as good at the moment. I can't see it going good to soft. Um, but, you know, it's, it's obviously a good opportunity for him. I schooled him this morning and he's in, a, he's in very good form. Uh, jumped well. But he, he's a bit more ground dependent. And super survivor in a, in a Reynolds town. I mean, he was good at Chepstow last time. He, he, he fairly bolted up there. He's rated 132 now. Yeah, no, he, he he was good that day. He's um he's a bit more workman like. Um, I'd like to see him travel a bit better through his races. Um, 
but he seems like he's improving all the time um, which is always a good thing uh, if they keep on improving but yeah um, he's, a, he's a lovely horse um, and he's, he's going to want soft ground um, so I can't see him running unfortunately yeah <laughs> yeah you're doing well to talk about these horses, even though that knowing that they're, they're, they're most likely not turn up. Do you know where you're going to go on Saturday yet, Kevin? I don't, to be honest. Okay. Um, I know Jamie is keen for passing well to run, mm-hmm. but as they say, it, uh, you, you might take a chance and good this off because it's the right race for him. Um, you know, I, I, if it was soft ground around there, it'd be perfect race for him because you know it, it turns into a bit of a test and everything else, and in you know. Stepping up and everything else is only going to be a bonus, but um, yeah, it's just one of those where where, where they're lovely horses and Jamie's got nice horses now, and you know he, he's just thinking about them long term as well, which is great. And it's just one of those where you're just thinking patience, 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 because mm-hmm. when 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 you see these horses at home and like me schooling them, you're thinking right, we we'll take a chance because he's in such good form and everything else. But then if they don't run well, you're like, well shouldn't have done that totally wrong thing to do you know and it's not great for their future in a sense um, but look it's just uh, water and whatever else it's you need more rain because I think water is only going to maintain the good mm. um, obviously you you know you're, you're having a good season with Jamie you're having a good season on, on all accounts you've also teamed up with Paddy Neville pretty well uh, I know you weren't on the real whacker last time but he was good um, and, and hopefully you get back on him at Cheltenham yeah, um, hopefully, yeah. He's um, he, he, he's a lovely horse. I um, got a great spin off him um, over fences first time, but I rode him over hurdles before that. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those where nothing kind of went right for him in the race and everything else in the ground, whatever. But uh, I said to Paddy, I said, here, we, we just we have to go chase him with him. And he said, yeah, Grant. And he rang me about a week, two weeks later, and he said, Gavin, scoot him over fences. He's, uh, he's cast. So I was really looking forward to him to run over fences. Um, there was no pace on, and I ended up bucking him out, going in front. And he was just an absolute pleasure to rally, to be honest. Um, he jumped a little bit out right at the, the first five, six fences, and after that, then he was ready to die. He settled down into lovely. Um, and he, he was good. He, 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 that's all he was. He was good. Um, you know, he, he got the job done, done it nicely. But I thought the last day, um, I, I thought he was impressive. Um, back over two and a half, um, nice attacking ride, and you know he, he looked looked very impressive. So he, he's very exciting going into Cheltenham because he's a horse that is improving as well. And if they keep on improving like that, he's one twelve around Cheltenham now over fences. They keep on improving, then who, who, who knows? You know, I love they've left him in a gold cup, having met all the team behind him as well. Um, I just I like that <clears throat> enthusiasm for the game. Whether or not that happens, I I, I don't know. But um, they're a good bunch of guys behind it, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, spoke to Paddy there yesterday, and he, he's he's got Davy Mann and them all coming over. Um, obviously, he had a trouble there the other day, Catrick. Um, you know, so he, he's horsed in good form. Paddy Paddy's having a great season, um, which which is brilliant. And uh, you know they. I, I just love, you know, Paddy just comes, he really enjoys it. Um, you know, he, he's really enthusiastic about the whole thing, as you say, and, you know, keep him in the Gold Cup. It, it, that's, that's the dream. Keep keep living the dream. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody 
everybody wants a gold cup horse. There's very few that pass through trainers' hands that you have a gold cup horse. And for him, even to have an entry, you know, that, that started off the dream. Whether it's going to be this year, is it going to be next year, it's still still a dream. And, you know, um, I, I think if, if, if he goes to Cheltenham, I know that Paddy will have him in good form and the best he can have. Gavin, appreciate your time. All the best. Lovely job. Thank you very much. Dave, I'm off to Sandown today, and, and um, the Jane scene was interesting, particularly with the Elliot runner. It certainly is. The The market's dominated by two horses, deeply superficial, coming over from Gordon Elliott's yard, of course. Uh, Gordon Elliott sent over Jerry Colomb to win the Silly Isles Novices Chase at Sandown a couple of weekends ago. Deeply superficial was fourth behind in the pocket at Nace, uh, five days before Christmas. has actually had wind surgery since then. That race has worked out really well. The winner was second uh, to uh, Ilite Ton over two miles at the Dublin Racing Festival. The third home uh, Absolute Nations was second to Good Land in the two-mile-six novices hurdle at the Dublin Racing Festival. And the second three-card brag has scored by 12 lengths since. So uh, that form has worked out very well. Market rival, you wear it well uh, for Jamie Snowden. Lost the unbeaten record over hurdles in the Challow, but that was an excellent run. Still uh, beaten four and three-quarter lengths behind Hermes Allen, who, of course, is the favourite for the Ballymore novices hurdle. Now, the... That the, the form of the cello has worked out really well. Horses who were beaten out of sight have still come out and won subsequently. So that defeat uh, for you where it well was certainly no disgrace. It'll be a very interesting clash between the two. Well, after Sounds Russian ran so well in the, the Cotswold chase and went so close, I thought it was just about time now to put in a call to Ruth Jefferson and ask whether the decision had been made. 20 to 1 for a Gold Cup, Ruth. Surely that's where he goes. Well, I'm not 100% decided yet. Because <laughs> you know you have to weigh these things up, um, but we left him in it because we're not we're not against it. Um, so you know we've got a little bit more time to think, and that's what we'll do. Is it fair to say that the the uh, I've met some of the owners, and they're they're a, a, a fantastic sprightly group of ladies who I imagine would quite like to have a runner in the Gold Cup? No. Yes, they would. Yes. Um, they would. There's there's always the element we'd love to win another race with him this season. Mm. Um, and there is probably a race we could, you know, we'd have... Uh, the competition wouldn't be quite so hot, so it'd be easier to win. But at the same time, you know, it's not often you have a horse good enough to run in a Gold Cup. And he's not a 100 to 1 shot, is he? So... There's an element of if you don't try, you don't know. Well, what is that? Have you got another race in mind, then? Well, there's only the Premier Chase at Kelso. Mm. Which he, mm. which he likes. He likes the track. Likes the track. You know, Carson Distance winner loves the place. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you ran in a Gold Cup this year and simply wasn't good enough, then I could always reroute into Kelso next year. Mm. <laughs> I see... If you never run in a Gold Cup, you never know, would you? No, I see that it's not straightforward, is it? And, and you know, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, I mean, handicap-wise, do you think he's... Do you think he's up against it now if you were to return to a handicap? It's not that he'd be up against it. It can carry top weight. Um, I just... There's only so many races you can look around top weight. He's almost too consistent for his own good. Mm. If he kept being consistent, he'd just sit around the same handicap mark and it would never come down. He'd always be susceptible to something that was better handicapped than him. 
bit like the Royal Americ, you know, it can give away weight, but giving away £15 was quite difficult. Mm. Um, so you'd always be a little bit susceptible to something that are handicapped. And I think once you get to, you know, it's, you can do it, but if you look at Frodon, gave away a lot of weight in the Badger Rails, hasn't done anything since, really. And Granatine gave away all the weight in the race at Exeter and then flop next time in the Dingle Creek. It's not as easy to bring a horse back from carrying big weight, carrying performances time and time again. Mm. It does take a bit more out with them. All right, so, um, well, yeah, I, I, I take that. Do, do you Did you learn anything about him in the Cotswold Chase with regards to wherever he goes next time, or in particular if you came back for a Gold Cup, about, about how you may want to ride him and what, what you may want to do? I just thought, I... I... At the entry, I felt they didn't go fast enough and he got outpaced quite late on. And I just said to, my instructions to Sean were quite vague. I just said, if they slow it down, don't be afraid to go forward. And when they slowed it down, he went forward. He was, he said himself, he probably got a little bit of a rush of blood to the head and went a little bit too soon. But then again, if he hadn't made the mistake far out, where he hit the fence and lost the advantage he'd had, would he have won? I don't know. Um, you know, he might still have got caught anyway. Um, he just did get caught out slightly at the top of the hill, which would mean next time you'd maybe want to ride him with a little bit more restraint, particularly over further. But he's always been a horse that you can just slot him in wherever you want in a race, really. He's, mm. he's quite... He doesn't have a specific way of need, needing ridden. You know, you can sit front, back, centre, wherever you like, um, which means that you could just ride the race however you felt like riding it. Up on the day. Do you know, I thought I'd end this call with, with more of an idea of what you're going to do, but... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm not, Sorry. I'm not sure. Wait, wait, no, no. It's, it's hard to weigh up, isn't it? Because you can make a case for him, and then you could say, if you wanted to be brutal... You could say, well, he's tried it a couple of times and just fallen a little bit short. So what's to say if he took on stronger competition, he'd improve? Because he would need to improve. But then he's very consistent and quite rideable. So why not? Mm. Whatever you do, and I know what I'd do if he was mine, good luck. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you very much. If Sounds Russian was your horse, Dave, would you be going to the Gold Cup? Well... You're, you or Nick often ask me questions like this, what would you do? And I, I'm something of a dreamer and an idealist in horse racing terms. So, yes, I would do. I'd go for the Gold Cup uh, rather than go for uh, lesser targets. Um, a length and a half separated sounds Russian from Ahoy Senor uh, in the Cotswold Chase at Cheltenham at the end of January. Um, sounds Russian is certainly an unlikely winner of the Cheltenham Gold Cup, but certainly not a completely implausible one. And you would imagine for a horse who still had uh, nine runs over fences, um, having won four of them, that there's going to be more to come. Yeah, I would roll the dice in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Right, time for a monkfish update. And sincere apologies to those of you that have written and said, what is the Nick Luck Daily podcast without a monkfish update? And and that's, that's entirely my fault. I accept full responsibility. I can only apologise. Um, and and because of my this misdemeanor, I, I'm happy to, to, to have done all these this week for nothing, Nick, if you're listening. Um, I have it from a reliable source that uh, he ran out of time for Cheltenham, but the hope is to give him a run before Punchestown. 
He's standing up to training well thus far. So that is your monkfish update on the NLD. Right, it's Thursday, so time to check in with Martin Kelly, RE Saudi Arabia, and the fact that we are but eight days away from the start of the two-day Saudi Cup meeting. Uh, Martin, on the podcast yesterday, we had Jim Walker talking subjectivist. We had uh, Jane Chappelheim talking Saffron Beach, one horse that's going to be there, one horse that isn't. But goodness me, subjectivist presence in the, the Red Sea Turf handicaps, just a, a massive boost for the meeting as a whole. What a horse to have out there. Isn't it just that it's terrific to see that he is going to be there because he's been amongst the entries and Mark and Charlie were talking, is he going to get there? But it seems like he is going to make his first appearance for 18 months. Um, Charlie was saying earlier this week that he's been 18 months in rehab, but we will see him in the $2.5 million Longines Red Sea Turf Handicap a week on Saturday. Uh, Charlie said it's asking a bit to have the horse of 18 months ago, but I hope we do. We'll find out in Saudi. Um, He's been up to Newcastle for a gallop. And there was an interesting quote from Charlie that just shows you the belief they had in this horse when he was at the peak of his powers. He said, two years ago, with that confident in his ability, there's not a stayer in the world who could beat him. So let's hope that that horse from two years ago reappears in Riyadh a week on Saturday. From rehab to Riyadh. There you go. (laughs) Very good. You you can use that one. Um, (laughs) And look, Saffron Beach's absence is a shame for the for 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 the meeting because you know she was a star attraction. It's great that that Jane Chappelheim and 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 the team were targeting it in in the first place. What's the sort of feeling? Do you think that she won't be turning up? I think a real shame because she was bringing together the the Japanese element, the American element. And she was the sole British representative. So not to have her there is going to be a real shame. And you feel for connections as well. Prince Faisal bin Khalid bin Abdulaziz, he shelled out 3.6 million guineas for this filly to have her run on Saudi Cup night and to get this close and have her ruled out, I think is a, a real shame for connections. But I don't know if you read the quotes from Jane that she gave on Tuesday when the statement came out. She said, it's Valentine's Day and she's off to Frankel. Yeah. She's booked a very good Valentine's Day. I thought that was a great line. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we had her on yesterday as well, and um, she was paying tribute to the to the horse. And um, yeah, I suppose in some ways it's good they found out before they left as well, and you know, and all that. But uh, a shame. But um, you mentioned the Japanese. Um, I think the Saudi Cup Martin put out a tweet saying, and I, I sort of skimmed over it quite quickly, and, and I think there were six horses listed, and I thought only six Japanese going to the Saudi Cup meeting, and then I reread it and realised that was all in the Saudi Cup, and thought, wow. Yeah, I mean, over the, the two-day meeting, there's 15 countries represented overall. But yeah, six in the Saudi Cup itself. We've got uh, Yoshido Yahagi, who enjoyed such a, a good night there last year. He's got uh, Panthalassa in there. We've got uh, Jun Lightbolt, who won the Group 1 Champions Cup, qualified uh, for the Saudi Cup with a win in Japan. Ryan Moore, likely to take the, uh, the ride on uh, Jun Lightbolt. Joe Moreira, he's been provisionally booked for Cafe Pharaoh. We've got Damien Lane, going to be reunited with the UAE Derby winner, Crown Pride. Uh, Geolific as well for Christophe Lemaire and uh, Vin de Gard, the Mount of Mikel Barcelona. So six Japanese in there. Country Grammar and Tabor as well. They're both on target as well for uh, America. And the seven American horses who are due to run over the course of the two days all landed into Riyadh yesterday. So Country Grammar and Tabor on the ground as we speak in Saudi Arabia. Across the two days, any other interesting international challenges that caught your eye? 
Lots of Japan. Japan's massive. Um, mm-hmm. Dancing Prince, winner of the Riyadh Dirt Sprint, going to be back to defend its crown in that race. Taking on fellow Japanese horses Remake and Justin in the same race. Bill Mott, Scottish Breeders' Cup Sprint winner, Elite Power. Steve Smewson runs Goodnight. And in the 1351 Turf Sprint, Songline is back once again for Japan. Uh, locking horns with Europeans, Charlie Appleby's Creative Force and Charlie Hills' Pogo, also in the lineup for that. Wonder if Le Maire is going to make the meeting his own again. We'll see. What's the what's the chance for Spain on the Friday? Yeah, two chances on the Friday. Most notably, El Decaramone, who was undefeated in three runs in Spain through 2022 and ended up as the second highest rated horse in Spain. This horse going for the $500,000 Saudi international handicap on the Friday and a huge opportunity, not just for the horse, but for Spanish racing to be advertised on such a, a global platform. This horse was taken from a French claimer for €30,000, trained by an Argentinian in Oscar Anaya. And they've had their eye on this race since the horse won the San Sebastian Gold Cup back in August. So a long-term plan coming together for Spain. And you can see more on that horse and connections on the Saudi Cup YouTube channel. And as far as the International Jockeys Challenge goes, I saw Joe Mason with a, a tweet saying she's headed out there following in the footsteps of female British riders in the past. Um, what's the lineup looking like? Yeah, good. All the jockeys now confirmed. As you say, Joe Mason is in there. We've got Jean Alves coming across from Brazil. She's the only uh, Brazilian to have won a grade one or group one race in Brazil. Uh, Yuga Kawada, recently crowned Japanese champion jockey. He's going to be there. We've got Sam Spratt coming across from Australia. Louis Sayers for America. And they'll join the likes of Frankie Dettori and Joe Moreira. And last year's winner, Caitlin Jones, for the International Jockeys Challenge, which, can you believe, Tom, is a week tomorrow. Cheers, Martin. Thanks, Tom. Dave, you can give us a tip, please. Right, well, we're going to go to Sandown for the 150 race this afternoon, Tom, and it's Corrigine Rock. Um, this horse has got a really good record at Sandown, actually. Uh, two seconds and a victory. Uh, win surgery since a second to excitations over this course and distance at the beginning of last month one pound lower here and i think can make the trip from lucinda russell's perth and kinross stable uh worth the trip 150 race at sandown today selection is number four corrigine rock lucinda russell could hardly be in better form dave thank you very much i hope everyone has enjoyed that as a listen and i look forward to chatting to you again tomorrow rishi Passad will be dialing in from dubai bye-bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary Thank you.